Welcome to the Castalia podcast. My name is Isla Ratcliffe. I'm a Scottish fiddle player and I have just released my debut album, The Castalia. In this podcast, I interview musicians from Cape Breton, an island on the east coast of Canada with a rich traditional music culture, thanks to the many Scots who emigrated in the 18th and 19th centuries. I was very lucky to spend four months in Cape Breton, a life-changing experience that inspired my album. It is the people behind Cape Breton music who make it so special. This is why I have created this podcast, to give you the chance to meet them. It's all about the party and having fun and those kinds of things. It's not necessarily about the performance. And it became this way that it's easy enough for someone to learn how to chord and have fun, you know, and it's brought so many connections, you know, just like yourself over the years. Today, as an exception, I'm speaking to a musician who isn't from Cape Breton. Peter Carfield is a fiddle player and composer from St. John, New Brunswick, the neighbouring province to Nova Scotia. I went to New Brunswick twice when I was in Canada to visit my third and fourth cousins. I went to a session at the Cask and Kettle pub in St. John, which is where I met Peter. He then wrote a tune for me called I'll Be Home for Christmas, which I recorded on the last track of my album. I live in St. John, New Brunswick, which is, of course, the province next to Nova Scotia, which is the province next to Cape Breton. I've been playing the fiddle for the better part of almost 30 years. I started when I was about 13, I think. First of all, what is your favorite thing about traditional music in New Brunswick? Oh, well, I mean, each each locality has its own accent. So New Brunswick fiddling is, of course, very different than, say, you know, Cape Breton music or very different from, say, Irish in its current form. It's a meld of a whole bunch of different styles. So why is it, you know, one of my favorite musics? Because it has all those mixes into it. So it kind of makes it unique in its current state, you know. It's one that is a lilting kind of style, especially the French Acadian style. It has deep roots in terms of, you know, the square dance, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, all these all of these styles of music have their own little their own little history that 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 makes it makes it special. And second question, why do you play and compose music? So I started actually playing the guitar because I fell in love with Green Day, of all things, <laughs> when I was a kid. And I wanted to play those power chords, and my dad had a guitar, and, you know, we started playing and, you know, showed me some basic chords. And then I heard the fiddle, and there was something about it that, I don't know, it just, it kind of grabbed me and it was interesting because it was on a violin and I always thought, you know, violin, violin music. There was something boring about classical at the time and, you know, it just didn't appeal to me. But for some reason, those fiddle tunes kind of did interest me. And, you know, I sat on the course of, you know, taking some lessons, very basic ones, mind you, and yeah, off on on, on the path I, I, I went and... It was a bug that I, you know, or an itch that you just had to scratch. And I'm sure like anybody who's been at this for a long time, it becomes like your go-to thing. It becomes first it's a challenge, then it just becomes 
you know, a hobby. And then it becomes like your thing that you reach for all the time as literally a pastime to pass the next five minutes if you're bored or anything. I don't know. It's just so, yeah, fiddle music was just one of those things. And singing and whether it be country, it never did that for me. Specifically, fiddle music, of all things, became the thing that, you know, I've got a memory for tunes. I can't remember words for the life of me, for songs, anything. But tunes, I can remember them all day long. And, yeah, so it's just been this love affair for, like, the better part of 30 years. Yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. It is quite an accessible form of music because you've got these these relatively short tunes that are just like an A part and a B part. And it's quite easy to memorize them and then lots of people know them so you can share it. And, and there's, the, there's the community aspect of it as well, right? It's all about the party and having fun and those kinds of things. It's not necessarily about the performance. And it became this way that it's easy enough for someone to learn how to chord and have fun, you know, and, and it's brought so many connections, you know, just like yourself over the years. And, you know, and I think that's what kind of keeps it going for, for an individual. It's not old and redundant. There's always another tune. There's always another tune that you just have to learn. And it keeps you going, you know, and motivated to. That's very true. <laughs> And what about composing? Why do you compose tunes? It just kind of seems to bubble out. And that started happening for me once I kind of got, um, when I kind of got a good read on the arpeggios and all that kind of stuff that, you know, and, and the chord patterns that, that are typical and where the finger placements typically run, where the runs go to make those things happen. And, you know, just through some experimentation, you know, years ago, um, that kind of led me there. It started when I was about 18, so about four or five years into me playing, I started experimenting with tunes um, and then, you know, struggling with what do you call this thing, right? And coming up with the most ridiculous names for tunes and, you know, and thumbing through the books over the years, I'm not alone, right? <laughs> you know, of, of all this, the, the ridiculous names that, that are out there for fiddle tunes. But it was, it was the thing that, I don't know, it was just, I felt, I, I felt good about writing my own thing that, hey, I can do this too. It, it doesn't just have to be me playing everybody else's music all the time. It's, I can do something and then it becomes fun to hear your own tune. And it's like when you recorded, you know, one of mine on your recent album was, you know, it's just, you're just waiting, just waiting to hear what someone else's interpretation was of, you know, of your tune. And interestingly enough, you had your own take on the tune and it's not necessarily the way I would play it. Maybe the notes, but the accent is, is, is absolutely different. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like a, a miniature version of traditional music in general, like one tune can evolve from player to player. Yeah, absolutely. Third question, what is your favorite musical memory? Wow. Um, I think I think for me at an early age was meeting some of your heroes. Maybe you, you, you bought a recording, right? In my case, it was probably like Jerry Holland or Howie McDonald and those kinds of guys. And really falling in love with, hey, like that's a completely different sound that I've never heard before. And then to find out that they're playing at a local hall 
down the road from my house this coming weekend. So you're just chomping at the bit to meet them and then inviting you up to play. So I was lucky, you know, to have grown up in that environment where it was kind of fostering that kind of growth. So I've got to meet and play with, you know, with some of my, some of my heroes, you know, whether it be Jerry Holland, Howie McDonald, Frank Farrell from the United States, Maybell Chisholm McQueen, who was a very renowned Cape Breton uh, piano player, Gilles Lozier, who was Jean Carignan's personal accompanist for, you know, the better part of his career. So getting to know these people over the years, and then, of course, befriending all kinds of it. So it's not a specific memory. It's It seems to be the connections that it's created as as such. But, you know, if, if there was a highlight, a really big highlight of, of a specific memory, it would be like experiencing probably a dance, right, for the first time. So there were educational kind of dances and how we had come up to play for one. And the very first time I kind of experienced that is just, it's kind of a surreal thing, right? To hear just one tune after another and seeing how the people dancing and doing all the things. So it's a big takeaway. So was the first square dance that you saw, was that in Cape Breton or in New Brunswick? No, it was here in, here in my hometown because they had come to do an educational thing. How we had come up and they did this thing and they tried to teach people how to do some specific dances and whatever. But it was still just the general experience of seeing people dancing to, to a music. And then, of course, just as a solo step dancing and seeing people's feet go crazy. It, it's just something that doesn't, you know, it's not overly present now in, in New Brunswick. Yeah, I mean, I also have a very strong memory of my first square dance that I saw in Cape Breton. I remember I was actually quite nervous before going to it because I was like, I, I've never step danced before. I don't know. I've never been to a square dance, <laughs> but it was great. And just, I think what struck me was just how many tunes the musicians have to get through. It's just tune after tune after tune. Like it never stops. And the mesmerizing thing is they're so well-practiced. They'll just go from one to the other to the other and just like, hey, what? And me being, you know, a person from away or whatever is will, will listen. What was the name of that tune? They're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just something I've always played, right? But something that struck me as part of the Cape Breton dances is, you know, like the very first one that I would have went to would have been, say, like in Mabu. And what struck me was the age. Didn't seem to be a gap. And, you know, I mean, like teenagers like to hang out with teenagers. Elderly people tend to hang out with elderly people. Here, all rules are off. You saw everything from a five-year-old to a 70 or 80-year-old on the dance floor. It was a community thing. And that's, that's something that you, that you take away and say, you know, these are things that bridge, you know, bridge some gaps, you know. Yeah, lovely. And fourth question, this is a tough one. What is your favorite tune? Wow, that is a tough one. Because, I, yeah, you end up playing so much. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather answer that question and say, like, what's my favorite style of tune, maybe? And I, probably the simplest of tunes. But something that has a very simple melody with very nice chord patterns. Those tends to, tend to be the, the types of tunes that I gravitate towards. What was one of the Irish tunes? It was uh, some sort of a bar- Lucy Farr's Barn Dance. 
would be a tune that I would take away. You know, some people can't stand it, but it just, to me, it just has a quality. It's very simple and it just has a flowing quality that, that I like. Not overly complex, just something that, you know, smooth, nice to listen to. You know, that's, those are the types of things that I like. Doesn't have to be this rip roaring technique. You know, I'm flying up and down the fingerboard like that. No. Those are a challenge, something that, you know, you work through just for something for fun. It's a performance piece, maybe. I don't know. But something leisurely, simple tunes. <laughs> I don't think I know that barn dance. Maybe I do, and I just don't know the name of it. Lucy Farr's barn dance. Yeah, it's for sure. Yeah, it's one that you have to learn. <laughs> well, I'll look it up. <laughs> Great. Well, you are my only guest on this podcast series who is from New Brunswick. Oh, wow. Um, so no pressure, but can you tell listeners about traditional music in New Brunswick? Because just, just for the benefit of listeners, um, I spent most of the four months in Canada in Cape Breton, but then I found that I had some family in New Brunswick. So I took two trips across. So I think I probably spent, first of all, I spent a week there and then I came back again for a few days at the end. So I'd say I was certainly very much more immersed in Cape Breton music and a little bit in New Brunswick music. The New Brunswick sound that you got to experience was part of a session that was specifically, you know, somewhat tied to Irish music. That's its own little thing. Right. That would probably be one of the few sessions that are in New Brunswick that where we play that style of music. So I don't want to give you the impression that that would that's that's New Brunswick style fiddling because it's something very different. You know, the tunes, the tunes tend to be very major in their sound, not minor like you would hear in Cape Breton style. Kind of like that A major G, A major G kind of sound that you'll get. I'm trying to think of a tune like Miss Lyles, you know, something like that. Um, you know, in, in New Brunswick fiddling, it's all about, you know, the drive to step dance. It's more happy, major sounding overall tunes. It's like I had mentioned earlier, it's one thing that tends to have been created from early settlers who settled an area, the Scottish, the Irish, the French, and then the mix that that occurs that creates that unique sound. It's something that was driven from early square dancing. Don Messer would be a name that comes to mind, was an early driver towards the, the music, and it evolved from New England in terms of its sound, which is, again, very influenced by Irish, Scottish, you know, all that kind of thing. So it seemed to, you know, migrate in various forms, but... I don't, I don't know a whole lot about how it came to be as in terms of was it a singing music, right? Like in, like in, in, in Cape Breton, you have this, oh, it was an old pipe tune or it was an old milling, you know, some song that was converted over the years into a style in terms of maybe a stress bay that then evolved into a reel and so on. And you know, of course, it's not solely based on the old manuscripts because most a lot of the players couldn't read music, right? So it's not like it's coming from Neil Gow or those kinds of influences. It seemed to be something in New Brunswick that was created for necessity of dance. It's a very, very interesting kind of style. You can't find the, the source for a lot of this music other than here. So it was created from a sound. 
of Irish or Scottish, or and that's what you can hear in the music. That seems quite similar to the connection between music and dance in Cape Breton as well. Then, yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, I mean, in Cape Breton, it it it, it came right, so it it came to the area and then evolved from other instruments into you know into into the style. In New Brunswick, I mean, the, really, the history can only go back so far because people really only started settling here in the what the late seventeen hundreds. Early 1800s is when the mass migration started to, you know, to really start, both from the loyalists coming out from the United States and people migrating here from northern northern Scotland and northern Ireland a lot. That's where my family came from. So these are settlers that have been here for, what, maybe 200 years, if that. You know, so, so and, and that's a common thing. So the music's a more, a, a, a more new thing to hear that that uh, that mm. came to be so would you say that there's one new brunswick fiddle style it seems that there's quite a few different yeah yeah absolutely there's there's yeah there's a multitude there's uh, of different players there's old time fiddle style old time players don't tend to play cape breton at all like maybe brenda stubberts would be like that would be the flavor of you know Jerry Holland's real Brenda Stubbertshire would be probably like the extent of how far they would go into Cape Breton music. Definitely not a Strathbay. That's just something that's that's just not present at all in old time fiddling. <laughs> Off the table. And then the Acadians, of course, like theirs is a specific sound, but again, not not driven from a Cape Breton sound at all. And and when I say Cape Breton, it's just because. It's its own unique style of march dress bays that you just don't hear in other styles. So it's very segmented, like compartments of of, of different different sounds. So yeah, there's an old time fiddle style. There's kind of like the new style, which is just a blend of everything. Most young players play that, and I'm part of that. I don't I don't pick any specific sides. I play anything and everything. Which kind of gives you your own sound anyway, right? And so the session where I met you, the cask and kettle session in St. John, that's a very Irish session, you said? It's an Irish session. It was most of the players that you would have met, you know, John Cudmore, Cynthia Cudmore, Marilyn, Inch, and so on. They were all part of an early learning program that exists here, of course, called Coltus. And, you know, they have branches all over and there was this, this you know, appetite uh, for learning Irish music. And they very centric around that sound um, and so on. So they have they have their own little session that, that, that occurs. Um, it's one that's very much a learning environment and so on. We created that session that you attended, you know, just a, as an outlet to play that style of music. Maybe our own our own compositions and those kinds of things. It's an effort to play Irish music, let's just say. And so then the other styles that you get in New Brunswick, do they also have their own sessions? Uh, there are sessions that occur in Moncton, which is an hour, uh, you know, an hour east here, closer to Prince Edward Island. In fact, it's predominantly you know a French you know French people who who attend, and therefore you get very much the Acadian. Acadian style session there where where you won't hear Irish music in the old time fiddle styles they don't call it a session they just call it a, like a jam or a do 
and these are like probably like 50, 60, 70 players all playing the same tune at the same time with a leader at the front. It's a style of music where you don't tie tunes together. You just keep playing the same tune probably over and over and over, say about maybe five times. And then they'll stop and then they'll start a new tune. Wow. And then what about the instrumentation in New Brunswick traditional music? Because in Cape Breton, it's quite fixed, like fiddle, piano, guitar. And well, guitar being a more recent addition, but in New Brunswick, is it more flexible or? Probably with the addition of accordion. Piano style is, of course, very different uh, in terms of a Cape Breton piano player or accompanist accords very wide stance with a lot of a lot of hitting um, is like syncopation that happens. In New Brunswick style, I always joke and I always call it milking the cow. You get a lot of they they play very close to middle C. In fact, a little left of it, and so it's very very bass driven, just to create some sort of rhythm, general chord pattern. Whereas in the Cape Breton style, it's you you hear the melody almost in the in the chording style. It's complementary to to the music it seems to follow where the tune is going interesting because i think obviously i've grown up in scotland and it's mainly the scottish traditional music scene that i know the best and there are certainly similarities with cape breton but also similarities with the new brunswick traditional music scene i think with cape breton obviously there's a huge scottish influence so a lot of the tunes are the same as the ones that we play here and the fiddle style is very much evolved from west coast Scottish fiddling. Um, but I think the New Brunswick traditional music scene seems to be more similar to the current Scottish traditional music scene in that it's got a lot of different styles in it and there's a lot of different instruments. And so there's quite a, there's quite a big variety, whereas Cape Breton seemed to be more like one, well, I don't want to say one set style because I know that I've interviewed other people who said no, it's several styles. But um, yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, there are there are different styles yeah. of Cape But something to, of of note is in the old time styles, those dues that I mentioned, it's just you know a room packed of fiddle players, and it's for fiddle. You won't get accordion players that go. In terms of the music, it's present in the traditional sense, but they don't play together. Only in the session scenario, the same things seem to come together in that form. So in the Acadian style, it's normal to hear, you know, of course, like, you know, fiddle, piano, guitar, and then of course, accordion. You don't hear, you don't hear whistle in that style. You don't hear flute players in that style very often. You know, maybe if they've adapted it, but but typically you don't hear that. Same as in Cape Breton. You don't hear whistle players who play Cape Breton music. You know, it's something that's, yeah, and that's not something that's overly present in New Brunswick style or Quebec or whatever style either. It's That's very much an Irish thing, you know. And in New Brunswick, is preserving tradition quite a motivation to play the music? Or I'm actually working on a book of putting together New Brunswick fiddle tunes for the very purpose of creating some preservation of, of the music. And through conversation with a lot of the older players and so on, it just, it, it was always an afterthought because 
how they came to play the tunes that they play was out of a search for newer material. So, you know, those who learned from their father's knee didn't want to learn the tunes that, you know, dad played. They wanted to play their own things. And those, of course, became the commercial recordings, the ones that came from the Don Messers, the Ned Landrys, and those kinds of things that were, you know, around from, say, the the late 30s, 40s, go for from the 78 RPM records and those kinds of things, becomes very much the, the, the commercial sound that they were after. And that has really shaped the sound of old time today. Gone are the are very old tunes, you know, that would have been the ones that, the, you know, the, the immigrants came with. So is your book all old time fiddle tunes or is it other styles as well? No. So it's an attempt to try and capture the overall sound of what New Brunswick would have been, the, what the Acadian players would have had, what the Irish players. So I'm having to go to different geographies within the province to, to kind of get a glimpse into what those would be. And more and more and more, what I'm finding is that like, you'll get a golden nugget now and then where, the a person does remember does recall something but for the most part all that you that i i get a lot of times is no i i i know the commercial recording aspect side of it i don't know the pre pre effect i all i know is the post effect so the kind of time that you're talking about is when early 20th century yeah so it would be like yeah exactly so it would be pre-1920 it's a difficult enough exercise and it's one that's not overly fruitful in terms of, I do find that in the Acadian style, there's been a long standing form of trying to preserve their style of music in the old time, for sure. It's part of the commercial side. They're very proud of their music, their cult, their, their heritage and those kinds of things. And um, they've archived a lot of their, of their, of their field through field recordings that had happened years and years ago. These are all accessible through the University of Moncton and those kinds of things. So you can access that sound if you wish. And when will that book be out? I'm hoping because of COVID, I have all kinds of time on my hands. So I'm definitely trying to to push two, three different tunes a night in terms of, you know, the transcribing of, of everything. And um, so the attempt of the book would be to maybe say have like, you know, let's say 200 tunes. Oh, well, I look forward to getting the book when it comes out. Yeah, it's 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 a fun little project for sure, and I mean it's just it's one that it's it's it's, it's driven through the love of kind of general music and as a whole to try and you know and and you know guys like Paul Cranford have done a wonderful job of you know preserving so much of the Cape Breton style, and I and I found that that's been a lacking thing here in the New Brunswick side. Yeah, I was just about to say. I mean, I've got all of Paul Cranford's books and. There's a amazing documentation there of Cape Breton music, but I hadn't heard of any books of New Brunswick music. So, great. Well, I'd now like to ask you about the tune that you wrote for me. Um, so I recorded this on the last track on my album. Can you tell us a wee bit about how you came to write that tune? It was part of the general sound of some of the tunes that I was writing at you know at that specific moment in time. You know, I found it was some of the better tunes are ones that come quickly. We had played a session together and I knew you were coming back. 
I think you were here, you were going back to Cape Breton and then you were coming here and then so in between times, and of course, if you remember, I had learned one of your tunes as well. And I made, of course, the joke of saying, hey, I wrote this new tune. But <laughs> it was, in fact, yours. But no, this tune here, and I, and I knew you were going home for Christmas. And it was, of course, a play on words, I'll be home for Christmas. And, and yeah, it's just kind of coming up with a ridiculous name for a tune. It was just that. It was it was a fun tune and one that I, I we, we still try to play it at our session. And, you know, of course, we play other tunes that, you know, you have taken with you, like um, the Owen Christie tune and those kinds of things. And that would be one that, you know, although part of more contemporary of a composer would be something that I feel is important for New Brunswick sound. You know, it's one that's not known widespread at all. Yeah, it's not known at all. Probably only within the Irish cultist sessions in St. John. Other than that, it was... Something that has made its way, if you searched it on YouTube, you would have noticed that there's quite a few people that have recorded And those are kind of by chance interactions where people have learned it, said, hey, I fell in love with this, want to record it, but aren't necessarily tied to tied to the tune. So you were lucky that you got to experience it from its local, most local sense. Right. So Jim Stewart's from St. John. Well, I don't know where he's from, but he definitely lives here. You know, so it was part of the kind of the local local repertoire of, of Irish for Irish players. Yeah, no, Lament Pro and Christie, um, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful tune. I think I heard it, so I came to the Cast and Kettle session twice, and I heard it both times, and I remember instantly getting my phone out to record it. It's just such a lovely tune, but I didn't know it wasn't more well-known. No, no, for sure. It's not one that you'll find in any, any other repertoire, for sure. It's just, it's just one that we do, and I... I really, I don't know how it really, who introduced it within even that session. I know the Coltis group played it, but I don't believe Jim was ever part of Coltis. When I first heard it, me too, I got kind of stung with it. I was like, wow, like that's a really great tune, especially the way that it, you know, it's, you can present really nice chords to it to kind of give it a drive. And yeah, anyways, it was, uh, Good, great, great tune. But I mean, yeah, no, yours was just, it came from a fun place. I knew you were coming back and just kind of fun to present, you know, present you with a new tune. I think as a composer, a lot of times is, you know, interacting with someone new and whatever. It's not just, hey, I've got this new tune. I'm looking for a title. It wasn't so much driven from that. It was like you walk away from something. I recently bought a new violin. As a result, you just, all kinds of tunes come out of that new experience so it's you know it was something fresh and interesting to you know as a new player coming into the session it was fun to have you and well thank you and lots of people have commented on the great name it's a good (laughs) yeah (laughs) especially the cellist on my album ellen she loves puns so she particularly loved that tune name (laughs) i i i'm interested you know, as far as as far as this project that you're doing in your your various interviews that you've had with other, you know, other players, maybe composers, what was the what was the purpose of this? Really, to give an insight into the inspiration behind my album, because I think so much of what I experienced in Cape Breton and New Brunswick was about the people behind the music. So I kind of felt that releasing an album inspired by my time in Canada is 
great in and of itself, but there was something missing if you don't also speak to the people behind the music. The sense of community is very tightly linked to the music itself. It's not just the music. It's very much part of a community and and the friendships that you make along the way. And, you know, I find, probably like yourself, wherever you go, the world as far as a fiddle player is, you know, the degrees of separation now are even more tight, you know. it's So you can go to the west coast of Canada and you'll we'll know common players, like personally know common players. And not just name drops, but actually knowing the connections. So it's very much, uh, yeah, it's, it's the community thing is very tight-knit through it. So you're not wrong to say that it's just part of an experience. It's the wealth of people in the community that go behind that, that, that drive kind of the experience of the music. Yeah, I mean, if you think of like the number of interactions that it took for us to meet, I remember, so first of all, I was in New Brunswick because I found out I had family there who I didn't know I had sure. before I arrived in Canada. <laughs> so that's going back, well, when my ancestors emigrated in 1873. And then I was at Celtic Colours in Cape Breton and met Kelton just by chance. Uh, we were both playing tunes. In the ah, game. yes. And then I think I mentioned to him that I was going to New Brunswick in like the next month. Um, and he's like, oh, I can put you in touch with someone who runs a session there. And... That's how I ended up meeting you. So it's all about people. And then you wrote me a tune and now it's on my album and now we're having this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Final thing, um, if listeners want to hear some of your music, where can they do so or buy your book? Because I'm working two, three tunes at a time and trying to get about 200 tunes together, I'm hoping for some time later this, either late, late this year, early next. So it's not... You know, I'm taking my time. I'm not in any hurry. I want to do a good job. I don't have any commercial recordings of my own. Uh, I have a very prominent YouTube channel, for sure, of all kinds of um, different recordings from all over the place. Early childhood experiences through the fiddle contests. That's one thing we didn't touch on, by the way. We didn't talk about the contest scene that's not present in other cultures. I know that in North America... There are Scottish fiddle competitions. Are they something that would be prevalent in Scotland? I'm glad you brought this up, actually, because this is something that we studied a little bit in one of my courses at Cape Breton University. And I was struck by how big competitions are in North America. Um, Is not as big a thing here. I think in piping it is. There's a lot of piping competitions and there are fiddle competitions as well. But I mean, I'd personally, I'd never consider entering one. It's not really something that you do. I, I know of a few people who have. Um, and I think, you know, in particular parts of Scotland, it's maybe more of a thing. But certainly I think it's a much bigger deal in North yeah. America. I know in the like, obviously in the Irish style, the flaws are, are you know, are a very big thing the regional ones and then you know the larger and definitely i've never heard of a competition in cape breton it's something that's not part of their uh, culture you know from a music perspective it's something that's very prevalent in the central provinces here in canada in the old time fiddling style a lot of them seem to have come about 
you know, there was the early 1920s competitions um, where Scott Skinner, for example, would have come to the pageant of progress, I believe, in the late 1920s. And you get a lot of a lot of competition after that. It seems that this is common um, ways to be part of, you know, the, the, the once a year fair and those kinds of things, you know, where the competition comes in, but it's only, doesn't, it's, it's definitely not present in any other, uh, any other style, but um, the old time style here in, here in okay. Canada. So are there quite a lot of competitions in? It used to be, uh, there are none now. Okay. There's, uh, yeah, okay. they've, they've all dwindled away with the players that were part of them. There is one left, I believe, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's called the Maritime Filling uh, Competition. But, yeah, like most, they've really fallen off because of, well, I mean, just the, the overall population of players as a whole. It's really dwindled away. The ba- the, that baby boom era is really, the bu- that bubble is really coming through. And it's becoming more and more noticeable. There's a lot of young players, but by far, in terms of numbers, compared to those who... You know, did it as a pastime who are, you know, 70 plus and 80 plus now years old, you know. Mm. Yeah. So did you take part in competitions yourself? Uh, only if uh, they needed a player. Right. Yeah, I was, it was never my thing. I always preferred the friendship of music rather than, you know, the competition aspect of that, that tension of friendship that exists. The winner, the loser approach i it wasn't never my thing now i mean those who grow up in it maybe don't see it that that way to them it's just oh, i it was a competition i won it tonight you'll win it tomorrow whatever but it was you know because of the smaller numbers the build up towards that competition seemed to be an unfriendly one that i never really wanted to get into it was never my thing but a lot of the younger players that was their drive they were kind of like you know they're so- the soccer mom bringing them to the, the to the fiddle teacher every week to try and prep them towards a competition that was going to occur, you know, in Ontario next year or whatever. And it became more of a, you know, like how many people do you know, for example, who have taken piano lessons and then dropped out? And with this, it was like when they can't win the competition, then the interest is really gone. So it was never really about the music. It was about the competition. So, you know, for myself, that's why I always wanted to keep things more about the music Mm, rather than the competition. Also, I've just remembered, I don't know how I forgot this, but of course the mod in Scotland is quite a big deal. Um, So, you know, there's, there's one competition that we have here. Also in more recent years, in the past 20, 25 years there's the bbc radio scotland young traditional musician of the year so that's that's also a more recent thing but i remember from reading about competitions in north america for this university course i was quite struck by how big a deal it was i remember kelton talking to me actually quite a bit about competitions and all the various it was great actually there was one car journey that we had where he he had a whole playlist of different Canadian fiddle styles and he just went through them all. So I learned loads about different fiddle styles. Oh yeah, and there are for sure throughout the as you go from east to west. Of course, there's the Cape Breton style. There's the Nova Scotia old time style. That's pretty much the same as like New Brunswick, PEI, the maritime kind of sound. 
There's a Newfoundland sound. There's PEI, which has its line across the the Scottish and then the French aspect of it. There's the Quebecois sound. And then within Quebec, there's the New England style of Quebec. And then there's the traditional Quebecois sound. The ones that, 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 that play the, the, the tunes that have like the extra measure at the end of it. We call it the, the, the tun crush. And like the tun crush means like they're crooked. They have like, they'll have a five, four measure just willy nilly. And then in Ontario, you have a breadth of kind of different styles. And then, um, mate, there's Metis styles of, uh, that has the 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 influence of like the Aboriginals people in in in, in Canada. That's really infiltrated uh, a general sound, and ones that were driven by again interpretations of early Scottish music that came and with with those who migrated, and they kind of heard heard a sound and interpreted it. And again, the further west you get, you start getting into you know the British Columbia general sound and yeah it's it's a different country of all sorts of different accents you know much like we all speak different we all play the fiddle different as well right? mm, yeah 100 percent. yeah no there's so many other fiddle styles for me still to explore so oh yeah it's... i'll have to come back <laughs> a big thank you to peter for taking the time to chat to me about his music and to explain everything about new brunswick traditional music to us And of course, a big thanks to you for joining us. Keep an eye out for Peter's new book, which is due for release at the end of 2022. If you would like to buy my album, The Castalia, it is available on Bandcamp or at my website, islaratcliffe.com. See you next time.